So, first off, definitely feels a bit awkward just putting out our weekly episode of Tech News Day right as things uh, really start hitting the fan and getting real. Yeah. Way more real than a lot of people expected it would over in Ukraine. There's been a lot of talk about World War Three over the past few weeks. We, we've done some of that talking yeah. uh, as Russia appeared more and more likely to invade Ukraine and possibly finish what it started back in 2014 when Russia captured Crimea. But it also seemed like there was a decent chance that this was just saber rattling and little more than that. Worst case scenario, maybe Russia would move in to formally capture the pro-Russia separatist parts of eastern Ukraine that have been in dispute for the last eight years. But no, uh, it's looking like a full-scale troop invasion across Ukraine's northern, eastern, and southern borders with airstrikes and other bombings happening all across the country. Yep, all playing out live on the internet. Uh, well, obviously in real life for the people that are suffering from this, but like it has been crazy and sleepless the past yeah. 24 hours of just watching watching this all play out. It's It's crazy and watching all the news happen live in your feed on Reddit and other social media platforms. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think the people of Ukraine really expected things to get this far. I don't think the people of Russia really did. Oh, you can uh, tell by the the citizenry in Russia and like as St. Petersburg, they're not too Moscow, stoked about this. A lot of them to the streets. A lot of them have family. Like this it's it's like the US invading Canada. Like it's it's yeah. you can't really compare it to anything uh, and there's uh, recent memory. multiple videos. I, one of the set, more sad ones, because uh, some of it is just like reacting to what's happening, but there's one where uh, a, a, a Escape from Tarkov player has to pack up and leave uh, and says goodbye to his like squad mates in the stream. And is uh, it's it's really uh, sad. And it, this is all bad news. This is There's no kind of uh, silver lining in any no. of this. Uh, we yeah. Even leading up to this, uh, for the weeks that we were, you know, looking at it and being like, oh, I don't know if anything's going to happen. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Uh, the main point that I kept making in episodes was the last thing we, we need right now is any kind of conflict, uh, any kind of war, and it uh, looks like that happened. And it's uh, not really, it doesn't seem like a level-headed choice by Putin, but he doesn't really seem like a no, level-headed yeah, guy. It, uh, it's, it's hard. The, the biggest reason a lot of people were like, it won't get to that point is because, like, why would it? It seems like a bad idea for everyone involved. What could yeah. you possibly stand to gain? But uh, I, this is Vladimir Putin we're talking about, and I guess he's just that kind of wild card. Um, yeah. It's scary stuff all around. Um, Europe hasn't seen actual warfare in a very long time. So it's got to be especially surreal for people in, like, Germany who are just... You know, a couple hundred miles away yeah, from Poland, Ukraine. Romania. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Poland and Romania both taking in uh, people who are trying to leave Ukraine. Yeah. And the, yeah, this uh, things by the time we even post this video, things could have changed. Anything could have happened. Yeah, it is a currently of like playing out situation that uh, we don't have any of the right or wrong answers to. Yeah, we're so watching I, it just like you. The are. war started like for most people's bedtime. Last night, yeah. I was like, "All right, well, I guess I'm just sitting in bed scrolling." And finally, I was like, "I, I gotta, I gotta cut this out because I'm gonna have to sleep. I'm gonna have to wake up at some point. Can't even play and Elden Ring in peace. And there's gonna be even more of this shit. So yeah. Um, so there's a lot happening here, and we are in no way qualified to speak on any of it, especially right now because things are changing so quickly. Um, but it would be wrong to even to not even acknowledge what's happening before getting into the tech news. Um, yeah, I would say 
you know, trust reputable sources. Uh, yeah, don't go looking for careful. there's already social media and YouTube analysis of this. There's already like fake clips from like other conflicts being passed around as oh, this just happened in Ukraine right now. Yeah, try uh, not to be uh, very reactionary, clicky, and uh, and uh, believing everything that you see. There's a lot of good. Uh, a lot of good sources on social media of people actually in Ukraine or actually knowledgeable about it. Uh, and a whole lot more takes from people who have uh, no real business the one opining thing on this. You our, shouldn't do, yeah. if you are in America right now, the one thing you shouldn't do is fucking put your two cents in on something you have no idea about because you end up looking like a fucking moron. Like there are so many, there are so many fucking tweets that uh, I don't even go on Twitter, but I've seen them on like Reddit and in various like Discord groups where I'm just like, these people all have brain worms. Yeah. This is all like, if I was Vladimir Putin's mother, oh this my is God. what I would say to him. It, Shut up. Was, I couldn't even Shut get up, through lady. that. Shut up, lady. It was, uh, this would have never happened if Trump was president. Shut up. Even Trump went on Ingram last night and tried to say that and even Laura Ingram had to correct him. <sighs> yeah, it's, uh, it's bad. The war is bad. The takes, not as bad, not nearly, but still pretty bad. Lethal it's, cringe, though. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, this is currently playing out. Uh, we don't know much about what's going to happen or what the consequences of any of this are or what the reaction from the United States is going to be outside of sanctions, which the threat of that didn't seem to work, so I don't know if it'll actually work. But this is a tech news show. Let's talk about tech news. Um, yeah. There's the war. There's <laughs> the war. We might try to provide a thorough breakdown of what's been happening as it continues. Maybe. Um, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but for right now, that's where we are. And with that out of the way, here's some very important news about non-fungible tokens. The real news. I know you all want to know about those dang NFTs. Wait, can we do a, uh, an ad break for Applebee's here really quick? Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> that was the most surreal thing. Like, it was literally... Isn't there a scene in uh, Talladega Nights? Where that happens, uh, like, I don't know. As I he crashes his so car, like he crashes his car, and there's just like flames and explosions. Like, all right, we're gonna cut away to our Applebee's sponsorship right now. Yeah the the social media live watch along of a conflict in Eastern Europe is there's no other word to describe it than surreal. Yeah. Because like we already had a skewed reality, very dumb reality, and now it's even worse. I don't know. It, look, let's talk about NFTs because, yeah. you know what, for once, thank God for NFTs. Yeah, I bet you're real happy we're, we're talking about NFTs instead of that dark stuff right now. No. So anyway. Well, did you see the, be the best idea was that... Uh, yeah, give them an NFT of Ukraine. Give Putin... Mr. Putin, here's a, here's a one-of-a-kind <laughs> NFT. It says that you own it. You own the Ukraine, so here you go. No need to invade. You've got the receipt right there. It's stored on the blockchain. So all the problems could have been solved. Yeah, I that was a great idea. So yeah, it's no surprise these days to hear about people just getting ripped off left and right in crypto and NFT stuff via hacks, scams, whatnot. It happens constantly, more than anyone really has time to actually cover. Aside from like Web three is going great. dot com, the which heroes is over an at excellent Web3 resource. Great. Yeah, uh, but uh, last weekend an NFT heist went down on the premier NFT marketplace OpenSea. And not only was it quite a haul that these thieves got, it also is just the latest example of OpenSea maybe not being the safest place for apes and lions and punks and whatnot to ever set foot in because there's a pattern emerging. Bad things happen. Well, and it's just so easy to blame it on the Web 2 aspect. All of my apes but... gone. Yeah. 
Anyways, here's The Verge. On Saturday, attackers stole hundreds of NFTs from OpenSea users, causing a late-night panic among the site's broad user base. A spreadsheet compiled by the blockchain security service PeckShield counted 254 tokens stolen over the course of the attack, including tokens from Decentraland and Bored Ape Yacht Club, with the bulk of the attacks taking place between 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. Molly White, who runs the blog Web3 is Going Great, estimated the value of the stolen tokens at more than $1.7 million. OpenSea initially said 32 users had been affected, but later revised that number to 17, saying 15 of the initial count had interacted with the attacker but not lost tokens as a result. So how, as for how it was possible for a hacker to just steal NFTs despite this being the kind of thing that the blockchain is supposed to prevent, uh, the explanation is boring and hard to understand if you're not already knowledgeable about this kind of stuff, but it involves exploiting an issue with the types of contracts that NFTs use and OpenSea uses which allowed attackers to complete a transaction with only a partially complete contract. Uh, so this required the users of the stolen NFTs to sign off on their end of the contract, meaning this was essentially a phishing attack. They thought they were going to get paid for their NFTs, but they got nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, though the details around it remain pretty vague. Sounds and... like a one-sided escrow account. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's uh, after this, a lot of uh, people were like, oh, if you haven't done this already... You should go revoke access to literally everything you've ever clicked on because if you go into a wallet, it's like it has you've given access. If you're going to mint something, you have to give access to like the yeah. person that's minting it. And then uh, if you don't revoke that and something happens, that uh, could be bad. Yeah, it's like using single sign-on. Yeah. Generally not something you want to do. Yeah. Well, anyways, back to this, though. What, what's also unclear is whether uh, and to what degree this is specifically OpenSea's fault. Um, but in some other stolen ape news this week, one victim of another OpenSea exploit is so sure that it's their fault that he's suing them in court over his losses. Let's go! <laughs> Here's Vice. Last week, a Texas man filed a lawsuit against NFT marketplace OpenSea, claiming its negligence was responsible for him losing his Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT. Filed in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Texas, Timothy McKimmy claims a... <laughs> Timmy McKimmy. <laughs> Timmy McKimmy claims a bug known to OpenSea allowed his NFT, Bored Ape number 3475, to be bought off him for 0.01 ETH. Today, that's worth $26. Then he flipped it for 99 ETH. <laughs> Today's that's that's worth $249,000. I think oh. that that also might be inaccurate because of the crash in crypto overnight. Yeah. Um, anyways, as such, he's suing OpenSea for his digital image to be returned and for damages exceeding $1 million. Now, you might be asking, why is he suing for over a $1 million when the Bored Ape last sold for just shy of $250,000? Well, Your Honor, it's because the Bored Ape is apparently a rare one. And now it's even more sought after because of the drama. Yeah, it's got history to it. If you watch Antiques Roadshow, the stuff that has a story, yeah, that's where the value is. Yeah. Um, I also I have to bring up my favorite board ape thing from the week. I'll have to send you the image of it. But it's uh, someone had one of those board ape like a sweater, you get you get to wear the sweater or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they took it. I, I I can't remember what public place they were in. I think it was skiing. And the like, guy's not like, one person not commented one... on my board ape hoodie. Still so maybe, early, bro. <laughs> maybe, yeah, and someone's like, maybe hoodies aren't in style anymore. No, I think we're just still early. It's still yeah. early, bro. Oh, man. They're, we're going to make it. They're not going to make it. Yeah. Anyway, here's the lawsuit explaining the logic behind that $1 million valuation. Plaintiff's board ape has significant value. This is unquestionable. For example, Justin Bieber purchased Bored Ape number 3001 for 500 ETH, or $1.3 million at the time of the transaction. Bieber's Bored Ape has a rarity score of only 53.66 and a rarity rank of 9777. 
In contrast, Plaintiff's Board Ape has a rarity score of 138.52 and a rarity rank of 1392. It is in the top 14% rarity, and it is significantly rarer than Beavers. Thus, Plaintiff's Board Ape value is arguably in the millions of dollars and growing as each day passes. I love this because Justin Bieber very uh, notoriously overpaid for that board ape by yeah, very, by a lot. Mysteriously yeah. overpaid for it. It was like it was like oh, Justin Bieber bought a board ape, and he also paid like four times as much for it than he should have. But I guess uh, now See, this, so he's setting like, the floor for the market. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a really good like probably legitimate scam to be run here uh, regarding uh, insurance policies for NFTs. Yeah. I think that exists. It, there's got to be like, a- oh, well, I just had this board ape appraised last week, and actually, the appraiser said it was worth a million dollars. I'm pretty sure that's got to be happening already. And now it's have, like literally like a CAA agent. Yeah, I, gu- I guess you could have like, and also that seems like something a DeFi platform would come up with that might or might not actually work. But uh, oh, just be- imagine <laughs> the insurance fraud within like the first couple of months. Oh my god! Some guy's just pulling his hair out, going through all these claims. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. If you've got the uh, the manpower to do it, then I think it's a good business. But anyways, uh, the meat of the lawsuit is that is the accusation that OpenSea bears responsibility for what it describes as negligence and breach of trust. It claims that OpenSea was fully aware of the security issues that led to this rare ape being stolen, and like leaving the gate unlocked at the zoo. Yeah, you gotta uh, lock those apes up. Everyone knew that the Cincinnati Zoo had a very vulnerable gorilla living in it. Yeah, and all it took was one bullet. We should sue them. Yes. Uh, anyways, and it failed to perform, properly inform its users on how to avoid it and put adequate security measures in place. The lawsuit even suggests that the reason OpenSea didn't just halt all transactions temporarily when it discovered the bug was so that it could keep the money machine going, just cranking, with all the 2.5% transaction fees that it gets off of every NFT sale. Hmm. Anyways, regardless of the outcome of this case, the case itself should be very interesting as it has the potential to reveal a lot more about what goes on behind the scenes at OpenSea than is currently known. And like with all these lawsuits, we look forward to reading about it. Yeah, it has the potential for a lot of a lot of great quote polls. I think there's going to be some cringe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of um, course. But yeah, it'll be really interesting. I, I hope this goes all the way to the courtroom. I hope I hope I get to see a lawyer with a giant printout of this board ape being like, as you can see here, the uh, the hat that he's wearing, very rare. Very rare. There's only a hundred apes that have this particular hat. Uh, I've brought it up before, but yeah, the the photo of the couple splitting up their beanie babies, it is. Oh, and speaking of which, I, I started re- uh, listening to uh, this audiobook from a few years ago called uh, the Bean- the Great Beanie Baby Bubble. Yeah, and it is. Fucking fascinating. Have you not watched the documentary on I watched, HBO Max? I watched that. This The book goes like so much more yeah. in depth about all of it. It is so fascinating. Everyone lost their goddamn minds yeah. in the late 90s. You know, if you don't want to waste the time, like well, not waste the time by reading a book, but if you don't want, if you want to get the gist of it, that documentary is, yeah. uh, it is shocking. Uh, it ha- it contains some very hilarious interviews with these women who were yeah. like basically Just running these the Chicago entire- like soccer moms yeah. who uh, started an international craze. Yeah, uh, and then of course the low level employees at the Thai corporation they got fucking shafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That lady came up with all those poems and got nothing. Yeah, it's in the book too. It's a good book. And a great documentary. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. yeah, moving on now to uh, some other lawsuit news about some other cutting edge technology. 
Uh, we're still a long way off from anything that could be accurately described as artificial intelligence, but AI has still come a long way in recent years. There's now multiple accessible ways to simply feed a few descriptive keywords into an AI image generator and have the AI produce a brand new image based on it. Your mileage, of course, will vary, and most of the stuff that you find on Google isn't particularly impressive, but people who have taken a more hands-on approach to developing and tweaking these algorithms have managed to produce some pretty cool shit. Not gonna lie. But uh, here's where the lawsuit comes in. Can a person copyright an image that they own, but which was created entirely by an AI? Well, the US Copyright Office says no. Yeah, uh, this is pretty wild. Here's The Verge. The US Copyright Office has rejected a request to let an AI copyright a work of art. Last week, a three-person board reviewed a 2019 ruling against Steven Thaler, who tried to copyright a picture on behalf of an algorithm he dubbed Creativity Machine. The board found that Thaler's AI-created image didn't include an element of human authorship, a necessary standard, it said, for protection. Creativity Machine's work, seen above, is named A Recent Entrance to Paradise. It's part of a series Thaler has described as a simulated near-death experience in which an algorithm reprocesses pictures to create hallucinatory images and a fictional narrative about the afterlife. Crucially, the AI is supposed to do this with extremely minimal human intervention, which has proven a deal-breaker for the Copyright Office. And yeah, here's the image, by the way. Uh, not especially good-looking and arguably... Kind of ugly. Most but of these look like the psychedelic posters you'd buy at Spencer's when you were younger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it is still cool that a machine made it out of thin air. And that's the problem. The Copyright Board's decision says that a vital element of copyright is the nexus between the human mind and creative expression. It's, of course, a lot murkier than that, though. Uh, previously, the Copyright Board has come out on the other side of the issue with cases in involving a book supposedly written by God. And also that photo taken by a monkey. Uh, and there was multiple rounds of appeals yeah. in both of those cases. Mm -hmm. And just because something was generated by an AI, of course, does not mean there wasn't significant human involvement steering the AI's output. But in this case, Steven Thaler is kind of doing this as a stunt, intentionally taking no credit himself to test the limits of copyright, as The Verge explains. This doesn't necessarily mean any art with an AI component is ineligible. Thaler emphasized that humans weren't meaningfully involved because his goal was to prove that machine-created works could receive protection, not simply to stop people from infringing on the picture. He's unsuccessfully tried to establish that AIs can patent inventions in the U.S. as well. The board's reasoning takes his explanation for granted. So if someone tried to copyright a similar work by arguing it was a product of their own creativity executed by a machine, the outcome might look different. A court could also reach an alternative conclusion on Thaler's work if he follows his rejection with a lawsuit. Even so, the Copyright Office is highlighting the importance of human agency in machine-produced works. As AI becomes a bigger part of artists' repertoires, the limits of that conclusion could be tested for years to come. And yeah, it's like, if you have a very heavy hand in what the AI is taking over, yeah. there's an argument to be made. Yeah. But it, if you're, like, if you're just putting like just a massive amount of outputs and sending it over to the copyright office to like, it's almost like spamming it and hoping that someone eventually copies something that the AI made and yeah. then being able to like yeah. sue over it. He's also, it sounds like he wants the copyright to be registered in the creativity machine's name, which is like, well, it's not it a real, make it. that's not a legal entity. How the fuck would that Yet. work? Yeah. Well. Mm -hmm. <sighs> oh boy. In other AI news, though, researchers have been training AIs to play games for decades now, and 
pretty much every time, the AIs have eventually become better at the games than even their most talented human opponents. Uh, which is impressive, but the usefulness of this kind of thing hasn't always been all that clear, aside from the achievement aspect of it. But some types of games have very clear and applicable parallels to practical real-life scenarios that could benefit from AI, uh, and it's kind of surprising that it's taken until now to just train an AI to be the best video game race car driver in the world. But they've, those mad lads have gone and done it. Great. Uh, here's NPR. An artificial intelligence program has beaten the world's best players in the popular PlayStation racing game Gran Turismo Sport, and in doing so, may have contributed towards designing better autonomous vehicles in the real world, according to one expert. The latest development comes after an interesting couple of decades for AI playing games. It began with chess when world champion Garry Kasparov lost to IBM's Deep Blue in a match in 1997. Then with Go, when AI beat Korean champion Lee Sedol in 2016. And by 2019, an AI program ranked higher than 99.8% of world players in the wildly popular real-time strategy game StarCraft II. Now, an AI program has dethroned the best human players in the professional esports world of Gran Turismo Sport. In a paper published recently in the science journal Nature, Researchers at a team led by Sony AI detailed how they created a program called Gran Turismo Sophie, which was able to win a race in Tokyo last October. It continues, Peter Werman is the head of the team on the GT Sophie project and said they didn't manually program the AI to be good at racing. Instead, they trained it on race after race, running multiple simulations of the game using a computer system connected to roughly a thousand PlayStation 4 consoles. Quote, it doesn't know what any of its controls do, Werman said. And through trial and error, it learns that the accelerator makes it go forward and the steering wheel turns left and right. And if it's doing the right thing by going forward, then it gets a little bit of a reward. It takes about an hour for the agent to learn to drive around a track. It takes about four hours to become about as good as the average human driver. And it takes 24 to 48 hours to be as good as the top 1% of the drivers who play the game. And after another 10 days, it can finally run toe-to-toe with the very best humanity has to offer. Sounds like it learns like a person. Yeah, but way faster. Yeah. But, I mean, this thing has 400 PS4s. If I had 400 PS4s, I'd be obviously the best gamer in the world. Well, we should see if this thing can be, uh, to learn how to jump over that thing in Cuphead. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be sitting there for hours before it figures it out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, eventually they pitted GT Sophie against the best human Gran Turismo player, and, of course, it won. But, interestingly, much like with chess and Go and StarCraft, GT Sophie's human opponents were impressed with the way it seemed to come up with its own completely unorthodox playstyle. Champion racer Takuma Miyazono said, I learned a lot from the AI agent. In order to drive faster, the AI drives a way that we would have never come up with, which actually made sense when I saw its maneuvers. A professor and amateur race car driver who reviewed the study for Nature said, It turns out that Sophie actually is doing things that race car drivers would consider to be very intelligent making maneuvers that it would take a human race car driver a career to be able to pull some off out of their repertoire at just the right moment. I think you can take the lessons that you learned from Sophie and think about how those work into the development, for instance, of autonomous vehicles. So that guy, Chris Gerdes, is also a researcher and designer of autonomous vehicles. So he knows what he's talking about here, but he's also quick to point out that applying this research to actual autonomous cars in the real world it's still a long way off. Oh, well, yeah, it also it just has to crash a thousand times. See, Gran Turismo, that's fine. They got to put this thing in uh, iRacing, which is the uh, the premier uh, pinnacle of race simulation. Yeah. Uh, it's got the accurate physics, uh, all that. Get this thing in iRacing for a little while, and then put it in a real NASCAR. See what happens. Well, what would be interesting is like a... Uh, 
like an F1 course. And yeah, it would cost a lot of money to to have an AI wreck a bunch of cars a bunch of times. Yeah. But the end result, after a long enough period of millions of dollars worth of wrecked cars, would be potentially the fastest recorded time around the track. You get a bunch of robots doing NASCAR and you tell them, do whatever it takes. And you have the explosions and the crashes that everyone loves without any of the death and dismemberment. Wait, hold on. There's a line of code in here that says bumpin's racing. <laughs> Wait, that's not AI at all. That's coal trickle. Anyway, meanwhile, uh, the team behind the study is working with Gran Turismo's devs to create a better in-game AI for players to race against. So if you suck at these games like I do, get ready to suck a whole lot more. Yeah. So you're going to have people botting this with AI. You're never going to be able to win a race. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on to more hacking news. Uh, goes without saying, but we're probably going to be seeing a lot more of this in the very near future. A lot more hacking in yeah. Eastern, Southern Europe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, whether or not this next story actually involves hacking seems to be in the eye of the beholder and also depends on whether or not you're the governor of the state of Missouri. Yeah. It's time for an update to an extremely dumb saga that started last year when journalist Josh Renaud of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch discovered that a state government website left a bunch of personal information about state employees exposed in the website's source code. Renaud, of course, promptly notified the proper authorities and waited until they'd fixed the problem before reporting on it, which seems like it would be the exact right thing to do in this situation. Yeah. But instead of being thanked, as you're all aware if you watch this show, Renaud was instead accused by Governor Mike Parsons of hacking into a government website, which is a pretty serious accusation with some pretty serious potential consequences. Who knew pressing control U could get you in so much trouble? Look at that. That's the source code. Crime. <laughs> well, in some good news for Josh Renaud uh, and bad news for Governor Mike Parsons, the investigation into this nonsense has come to its conclusion and Renaud has been completely exonerated of all wrongdoing. So just a big time, a big waste of time and money for yeah. all the taxpayers. A lot of time and a lot of money. Just like everything else. Yeah. Here's Ars Technica. A newly released police report thoroughly debunks Missouri Governor Mike Parsons' baffling claim that a journalist who helped the state identify and fix a website security flaw was a hacker and criminal. Parsons demanded the investigation in October and called for criminal charges against St. Louis Post-Dispatch reporter Josh Renaud. Quote, it is unlawful to access encoded data and systems in order to examine other people's personal information. And we are coordinating state resources to respond and utilize all legal methods available, Parsons said at the time. The Republican governor claimed that Renaud was acting against a state agency to compromise teachers' personal information in an attempt to embarrass the state and sell headlines for their news outlet. And said his administration will not let this crime against Missouri teachers go unpunished. But the resulting police report confirms in detail that Renaud did exactly what he said from the beginning. He identified a security flaw by viewing publicly available HTML code on a misconfigured state website and delayed publishing an article on his findings until after the state closed the security hole. The police report also revealed that the security flaw had existed since 2011. Jesus. The mistake exposed teachers' social security numbers on a Department of elementary and secondary education website that allowed anyone to search for information about teachers. Up to 576,000 teachers' social security numbers may have been exposed because the data goes back to 2005, the report said. The Missouri State Highway Patrol police report was posted yesterday by the Post-Dispatch along with an article about the report. The Highway Patrol said it spent about 175 hours no. on the investigation. Three officers assisted the probe. No cost estimate was provided to the Post-Dispatch. They were literally working in shifts. Yeah. Getting to the bottom of this. Well, it's high on the uh, governor's 
attention. This is why the police need more funding. <laughs> so they can sit around and do fucking busy work. Yeah. Researching something that was so blatantly obvious. 175 hours. Oh, and totally, like, billed for overtime. Yeah. Like, no, I think I could put in another eight hours on this uh, research that I'm doing. Yeah, half, you know, half that time was just, like, reading Wikipedia entries about what HTML is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got to get our facts straight here. Top men. <laughs> uh, prosecutor Locke Thompson, great name, yeah. officially closed the investigation without charges earlier this month. But in an interview with the Missouri Independent this week, he clarified that what Josh Renaud did actually might have been a crime. Though that's only because Missouri's cybercrime laws are absurdly broad. Yeah, there's, uh, they're discovering a lot of just lingering, uh, gaping holes in yeah. a lot of things right, right now with this. From the article, If any crime was committed, Thompson said, it was in the fringes of an overly broad state law and, quote, wasn't going to be worth the time, the effort, or quite frankly, the taxpayer dollars to pursue. The law in question says a person commits the offense of tampering with computer data by, quote, accessing a computer, a computer system, or a computer network, and intentionally examines information about another person. Okay, that's, yeah, that's pretty broad. I uh, checked her Facebook profile, and now I'm in jail. Guilty. Yeah. The law does appear to be so vague that it basically describes someone using a computer to look up someone's information. <laughs> Thompson said, the lawmakers may want to consider revising that section of state law, Thompson yeah. said. Our investigation didn't uncover what we believe to be any criminal intent, he said. Even though it still may have technically been a crime, we didn't believe that there was intent. And that point is proven by the steps that he took as a journalist yeah. to clarify, indicate, and then withhold publishing a story about it until the security flaw was fixed out of the best interests for the fucking teachers who were the real victims in all of this. So Mike, my, you're Mike Parsons. Oh, you're telling me, so you're telling me it was a crime, huh? So I was right. So I was right. Off to the gulag. I was right. You're <laughs> no, welcome. No, 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 I was right. You're I, welcome. All right. You know, we were both right. Agree to Turns disagree. Turns out everyone was right. Here. Agree to disagree. So no L's taken. This was a valuable usage of my time and the time of the Missouri Highway Patrol. And totally didn't make me look like a complete idiot. No, because as we've seen, as the prosecutor said, a crime was technically committed. And all of their social security numbers were exposed in the Equifax hack anyway. So, no harm, no foul. No harm, no foul. And by the way, here in Missouri, we hate our teachers. Yeah, we hate them. Yeah. It's true, though. They're all Most that states do. Critical race theory. Yeah. They, they, they should have this happen. But, uh, yeah, speaking of accidentally committing cybercrime, here's a story out of France about a dad who simply wanted to, uh, his kids to get off their damn phones and spend some quality family time with him. But he inadvertently took down his entire town's internet and now faces criminal charges and potentially six months in prison and a fine of up to 30,000 euros over it because the uh, device that he used to do it was illegal. He just wanted some IRL time with the kids and now he might only see his kids through plate glass. Which is sad. It is sad. It's sad. Um, typically, you should have parental controls maybe on the Wi-Fi. There but... had to have been a simpler way. Yeah. yeah. He really took the Tim Allen approach. Yeah. Most manufacturers uh, and app developers have ways to uh, keep your kids off that screen time when you when you don't no. want them using it. It's like home improvement. Why would you want to mow your lawn with a normal riding lawnmower yeah. when you can put a V6 on it? Yeah. yeah. My kids are on their iPads too often. I... I got, I'm going to set off a nuclear device in the atmosphere and uh, create an electromagnetic pulse to get them off their phones. Yeah, yeah, that's... Hey, it, it would technically work. 
Yeah. Anyways, here's Gizmodo with the facts about the case. A report from the outlet France Blue says the unnamed dad tried to use a multi-wave band jammer to temporarily cut off the internet connection at his residence in the town of Messanges. Jammers, which are illegal in France and also in the U.S., work by interfering with telecommunication signals, thus stifling connections. Despite their illegality, people still get arrested for using them pretty much all the time. In this case, the dad in question deployed the device in the hopes of prying his social media-addicted children away from the grips of their devices. When later questioned by a government official, the man apparently admitted that he only wanted to cut off the connectivity to his house at night, between the hours of midnight and 3 a.m., probably so his kids would put the phones down and just go to bed already. Unfortunately for the Padre, the jamming device was powerful enough to cut connectivity not just to his own residence, but, unbeknownst to him, to those of many, many others in the surrounding area. His neighbors eventually started reporting their outages, after which the government was forced to investigate. The outlet reports, He was thinking of depriving his only children of the internet, and did not imagine that the wave jammer he was using would disrupt telecommunications in an area spanning two municipalities. An investigation by the National Frequency Agency established his responsibility and legal proceedings were initiated. In a just society, everyone would have walked out of their homes and clapped. Yeah. Finally, someone has released us from the burden of the internet and social media. Yeah, the problem is that the everyone's hooked on this shit. Yeah. Like, oh, you kids are on your phone too much. Yeah, so are you. Yeah. So are you. Speaking of which, we got three new TikToks. Yeah. Three new TikToks on the TikTok account. Dab. Uh, TikTok.com slash at internet today TV. It's weird. We'll leave a link below. Um, but yeah. We hit 30,000 likes. We're still not at 10,000 followers yet, so we can't siphon any money off of... Can't get uh, those, uh, those coins. Yes. Uh, get us to 10,000 followers so we can get... We, it's Steal TikTok's Money by yeah. Internet Today, and yeah. you can help by following, and then we'll get, a li- we'll get a little bit of taste. Yeah, I just want a taste. Give me um, that Chinese money. But yeah, uh, tech, t- tech News Day, uh, probably going to be chock full of uh, cyber warfare in the coming weeks and months and the rest of the year, probably. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's another reason why I didn't expect Russia to invade. I was like, they've they've been attacking Ukraine through the internet regularly for the past 10 years yeah. and getting great results, not for Ukraine, but for yeah. themselves. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, there's also the, uh, the, the big talking point right now is that if they extend those cyber attacks to uh, countries that are actually in NATO, uh, that would be... A breach of what was it, Article Five, and that would of the EU, yeah. Oh, sorry, EU. So that would force uh, countries into war. Well, allegedly. Yeah, there's a lot. God, yeah. I, don't don't listen to us. Yeah, do your own research. <laughs> Good morning. But, do your own like, research. But you know, put put some care into it. Yeah. But yeah, we're uh, we're living in very interesting times, and it fucking sucks. Right. Best I can do is World War Three. Yeah. Anyways, that's our episode. Um, stay safe out there. Uh, more lighthearted news over there. Trump launched his Truth Social, except he fucking didn't. Except it's just, oh, it's happening on President's Day. No. Uh, maybe next month. We'll see. So off to a great start. Non-start. Would have been a great uh, time to launch. A lot of people paying attention to what that big buffoon has I to say. I know. He's probably pissed. It's like, oh, man, this would have been a banner week. Everyone would have been tuning into Truth Social to hear those takes, but... You know, in general, it really sucks to be Devin Nunes, but it probably really sucks to be Devin Nunes. Devin, right you fucking idiot. <laughs> Kiss the ring, bitch. The cow was right about you. <laughs> so there's <laughs> that. Yeah. And then uh, our episode about the uh, the Ram Ranch uh, versus Canada truckers. Yeah. And uh, 
Yeah. I think Ram Ranch is going to make its way to Ukraine to battle the Russians. I hope so. Yeah. Watch both of those. Subscribe to the channel. Follow us on TikTok so we can get some of their money. And uh, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye.